0: Hello, and welcome to Minta Dialogue, episode number 110. This interview is with Michael Mamoff, maker of Player FM, a service designed to help discover, distribute, and amplify podcasts across all platforms and devices. Player FM was highlighted this year's Google I.O. With my ongoing interest in the podcast, and of course, for all you regular listeners, Michael is someone in touch at the epicenter of podcasting. He offers his spin on podcasting with some great tips and insights for podcasters. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minted Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minted Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the to Dialogue Show. We are back from uh, the summer holidays, and we are going to do something. It's sort of like Geeks Talking to Geeks, and we're on a podcast talking about podcasting. But I have a good reason for that, and that's because I have on the line, uh, direct in, from London, London, England, Down Under, I should say, Michael Mahamoff. And Michael is—he's uh, the founder of Player FM, which was featured recently in June, right, Mike, yes. in the um, in the Google I/O out in in San Francisco, uh, in the developer sandbox. So you guys, you are onto something, Mike. So tell us. About yourself, what is uh, Player FM? And for the sake of our lovely podcast, what is your mindset?
1: I'm Michael Namoff. I'm a uh, developer and uh, someone who's always been interested in user experience as well. Um, so I'm very much hands on with Player FM. What I'm trying to build here is a podcast discovery app. So it's an app that focuses much more than traditional podcaster apps on finding great shows and eventually building in personal recommendations and helping people keep their podcast subscriptions in the cloud so it's easier to sync across multiple devices. So it's really kind of ushering in a lot of patterns people might have seen in music apps like Spotify, for example, and bringing it to the world of podcasting. And my mindset is really, I think if you want a tagline for it, it's this famous book in user experience called Don't Make Me Think I like to build experiences that are just no-brainers for users. But I also like to carry users through the trajectory of becoming a master at something as well. I think that's really the exciting thing because anyone can create, say, you know, a dumb notepad app to do your editing. The hard part is actually transitioning all the way through to the level they want to get to.
0: Well, well, at at the end, let's talk a little bit about UX because I think that there's a lot of interesting things to talk about in user experience. But um, sticking to the theme of podcasting, uh, you let's say you're in front of a brand marketer or someone who's in in business, why would you recommend them to podcast?
1: I think that one of the advantages of podcasting is the kind of credibility that people uh, carry when they actually are. Hosting a podcast, and and some somewhat, you know, if they're just involved with the podcast. But I think that one of the things I've found when I've talked to other podcasters and listeners is that they they give a lot more credibility to a podcaster than they would to just a, a blog writer, and and by association to the podcast rather than the blog. And so, their podcasters have told me that they they value one subscriber for their podcast is like. 10 10 times subscribers to their blog um, just because it builds much more of a personal connection and and of course, you know, when you're on a podcast, it's, it's live recording. You can't just make things up. You can't just
2: you know, delegate
1: <laughs> everything for for to your junior associate to to write up your blog post. So ah, from
0: I, that point of view, I love that. That's great. That's that's a new insight for me. All right. So um, I've been podcasting probably for five years. I don't know how much credibility it's given me, but I hope so some. But it, podcasting's been around for a lot longer, and and it's had sort of troughs and peaks. Where do you think podcasting is in in the cycle of uh, of business? I think that what happened
1: around ten years ago was that it really got going and it was seen as this giant thing. So, in a way, you know, this this like consultants like to say X is dead. You know, whatever doesn't right. doesn't keep rising and rising uh, to become a mainstream technology suddenly becomes dead. And what really happened was it. Sort of went flat for a while. It didn't really grow that much. It didn't become the video platform that people expected it to be uh, because of YouTube, uh, but it certainly didn't go away. And what's happened now is uh, there's a real renaissance of podcasting because of several technology trends uh, smartphones, mobile broadband, social media that helps people to discover podcasts, and also the ability to record is easier than ever as well. So we are seeing a real renaissance, and there's certainly plenty of uh, demand for audio, spoken word audio. All
0: right, so, when we talk about podcasting, in your mind, since you're—I mean, that's your space. Do you, in your mind, are we strictly talking audio? Because I mean, there's the vidcast or the mm-hmm. the ones that include video. So, how do you segment that? And, and does Player FM? So, what does Player FM include video or stick to straight to audio?
1: Uh, It's a fuzzy line about video. Technically, if you look at the actual technology of podcasting, it's really just the ability to transmit binary files or or any kind of files on an RSS feed. So so sort of every day or every week, some content can go to all the subscribers. Technically a podcast can be uh, like a PDF file or a game or an application, right? It doesn't actually have to be any form of media. But in practical terms, the way people see it is just podcasting does get equated a lot with audio and video is something that I think people see as something of an augmented version of podcasting. So it's it's still really quite a fuzzy line exactly what podcasting is. With Player FM, I've very much focused on audio because I think that's the, the biggest thing right now, that the biggest opportunity to make a real difference is audio. But saying that, you know, we've had loads of demand like you know, people are constantly telling us, why don't you support video? They love uh, shows like the Twit Network is, is hugely popular in video. Um, some of the business shows like Mixergy. So um, there has been that demand. Actually, Mixergy is an example where he actually <laughs> he dropped his video RSS feed. So that tells you maybe uh, in the podcasting space, people aren't so interested in video. Uh, um, but I think that over time, I think it, it is picking up a, a bit and people like Jason Calacanis from... Uh, This Week in Startups, for example, he's always emphasising he wants to keep control for his own videos, and that's the advantage that podcasting gives him over the hosted platforms.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, that's for sure. When you talked about those trends about the mobile uh, and the the mobile broadband, uh, the, the fact that it's in audio means it's a lot less heavy to pass through, and people then can consume it a lot easier.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's it's something that you know people are busier than ever, and at the same time, people want to be skilling up more than ever and, and staying informed. So I think that with podcasting, there's the ability to be learning while you're working out, while you're commuting, while you're doing house chores. When
0: you're so you're in the business of podcasting, I mean, and you're distributing it, what how how does how does one know the state uh, how many podcasts there are? I mean, I have I, I when I tried to troll around on internet and find some sources it doesn't seem that there's anyone that you know any nielsens per se that allows us to understand here this is where we are do you, do you do you have any references and sources or or are there none that you know of
1: there are no official sources the most de facto standard i guess is the itunes directory but they're fairly closed about the exact stats and it? API and so on, so there are a bunch of people who are doing different things with it. One of the things I'm trying to do with Player FM is actually making it a Creative Commons license for the for the podcast directory. Um, I haven't really sort of formally announced an API or anything about that, but I've always said that the kind of metadata. Obviously, you know, this has nothing to do with the actual content of the, the what podcasters are producing. But the metadata, the directory of podcasts and the RSS feeds and the tags and all of that, I'm trying to build that as a creative commons so it's a little bit easier for people to get hold of, say, a list of podcasts in a certain space. But we've heard that from Apple, 450,000 feeds, it's not really much else to go to. We don't know how many of them are active or anything.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I mean, I I found myself manually going in there and trying to count on a specific t- area, page by page, scrolling down. That was fun. Um, so let's let's talk, Mike, about uh, Player FM. So talk specifically about what it does and its point of difference. Because I mean, for me, I'm a, I'm a regular listener of podcasts, consuming podcasts, and I will, I, you know, my my go-to source has always been iTunes. Because of I mean the you know the Apple ecosystem and everything, what is Player FM and how is it different from what other services are out there, specifically iTunes?
1: The main problem Player FM is trying to solve is the discovery problem. Um, one of the challenges people have with podcasts is the traditional app requires this kind of cycle. It's like a okay. Catch-22 of you have to know what the show's like to subscribe to it, but, you know, you have to uh, subscribe to it to find out what the show's like because you have to uh, wait for it to download and hit play, and if you don't like it, then you have to go and find something else. So one of the things I tried to do differently with Player FM is start from the point of view of what does the user really want and... A new user, especially you know, there's 99% of the, the audience for podcasting is people who haven't discovered podcasting yet. So it's, you know, it's not not necessarily people who know all about the latest shows. It's really just the mainstream audience who want to listen to anything about podcasting or you know, listen to spoken word. And really, to solve their problem, the first thing they're going to come to an app like this with is they're going to know they're going to know what they want to listen to, but they don't know what shows they want. So Player FM solves that problem by saying what topics are you interested in, right? So that's really the first experience I have on Player FM is, is, you know, do you want to listen to tech, do you want to listen to sports and so on? And it really breaks those things down into niches as well. So once users start using the app, you can actually listen to not just sports, but there are channels for baseball, football, Uh, in terms of business, there's channels for digital marketing and, programming and even specific programming languages so i wanted to really break things down that way Mm -hmm. and over time i see it becoming much more sort of intelligence based as well based on the kind of cloud intelligence that we're able to build up by keeping Claire fm in the cloud Um, we can start to work on things like social recommendations so
0: people who listen to this also like this one
1: Yes, absolutely, but not necessarily just at the level of a a whole series, but also at the the level of individual episodes. So we can say in real time, you know, people are listening to this now, people like yourself or people, if you're interested in sports, people are listening to this show right now that's a sports show.
0: Yeah, that's something that drives me balmy with uh, iTunes is I'm listening to a thing I like and I go, yeah, I should send that to so-and-so. So So I, I click on the button share and it shares the whole series
1: right which is
0: not what i'm intending to share
1: yeah you want to be able to deep link and ideally you want to be able to deep link into an individual segment within an episode as well
0: what so i mean i mean this isn't about kiboshing itunes but why is it that they don't have uh, how is it that they come that you don't have separate links for each show in itunes i mean technically i'm completely incapable of understanding
1: there's no technical reason why. It's just that for a long time Apple didn't even have a web presence that they used to They used to just redirect straight to iTunes if you happen to have iTunes installed. Now they've built a very basic web presence. Maybe they'll expand that later on. But for now, uh, I think it's just a matter of something they haven't wanting, been wanting to do. Um, hopefully, there are standards like uh, Podlove, that are, that, which is an open stack and it's trying to evolve this whole space and make episodes and segments and chapters within episodes are much more shareable and social
0: Mm -hmm. the other thing that is particularly interesting about player fm as opposed to uh, itunes is that you are cross device and as i understand it but correct me if i'm wrong if i've gone halfway through a podcast on one device i can pick it up where i left off on another one is that accurate
1: That's partly accurate. So the cross-device aspect is we're on Android and the web and working on an iPhone app as well. Um, And part of the advantage of being on the web is you can share a link with someone who doesn't necessarily have the app. And if if they do have the app, it will open on Android. It will actually open straight inside the app, that episode. But if they don't, then it will go to the web. I see. Um, As far as uh, continuing playback, that's actually one of the features that we've got planned uh, that requires having a lot more server-side tracking in real-time, which we haven't built yet, but that's the plan.
0: I see. That's cool. All right. So um, now just from a, the perspective of a, of a brand guy or a woman who says, well, I, want, I think it would be really interesting. I heard Mike speak about this. We should be doing it. It's a great way to get uh, more expertise and, and authority. What kinds of tips can you provide to podcasters based on what you're seeing in the back end in Player FM?
1: I think one of the success factors is maybe an obvious one, but it's a hard one to do is just to be regular, you know, keep going with the show because a lot of people get into podcasting and get very excited and make logos and promote it uh, and then drop out after a few episodes. (laughs) And I've certainly been guilty of that as well. It is quite hard. You know, it is a lot of commitment to, to do the upkeep and make sure that you're producing quality shows each week or each month or whatever. But I would say, that's the most important thing: is to pick a schedule and a, and a roughly, a, a, at least a minimum duration, and stick to it. Um, beyond that, I would say it's important. What I see as a developer is it's important uh, to make sure that the data is enriched, so to make the podcast be easy, easily discovered. Make sure that the RSS feed is, has got all the basic, basic hygiene factors in place. And what, what um, does that?
0: Sure what, what, what do you mean by hygiene? Like right tagging.
1: Yeah, I mean, just the fact that it works. <laughs> You'd be uh, surprised how many RSS feeds don't pass a basic validator. So there are sites you can go on to. One of them is called castfeedvalidator.com. Oh, great. And, and you can actually check your podcast feed and, and see if it passes, Passes, you know, that, that all the tags are correctly formed and so on. Um, and if, if it doesn't work, then you're probably ruling yourself out of, of certain apps. One of the biggest mistakes, I think, podcasters make is assuming that the whole world of podcasting is iTunes. And this is 2014. It's not even true that the whole podcasting world is Apple. Of course, you know, there's a lot of people listening on Android, on the web, on other operating systems. So the most obvious thing you can do is not just include the link to iTunes, but also include your general RSS link, which means for thousands of other apps uh, that are out there, they can also pick up your feed.
0: Great ones. I like that. Do you have any a viewpoint on duration? You mentioned so consistency of regularity. And, and so I guess that's, you know, that's according to uh, who, who your audience is and what kind of content you're going to have. Um, but in terms of die, you know, consumable length, is there what's the what's the hot spot, sweet spot on, on your site?
1: It seems to be a commute is, is kind of a good rule of thumb, which, which of course can vary a lot. It depends on people's audiences, but roughly something like 25, 30 minutes seems to be quite a nice sweet spot for people.
0: And then, I mean, do, do, do you see other peaks? In other words, like the three minutes? I mean, I, well, the way I've done it intuitively is I feel like there's, there's the uh, short and sweet, like the two-minute you know, pop-in. That you can listen to uh, waiting to buy a ticket in the metro. Uh, then there's the the commute one, which let's say is you know the TED Talk 18 minutes to 25 minutes somewhere in there. Then there's the the run, or you know, up to the Iron Man. So that's the 45 minutes to hour and a half, you know, long haul stuff. Uh, do, you, do you I mean I don't do you do you see or is it is there basically an even distribution? and the, the with the peak being in 25 minutes or something like that?
1: Haven't tried to study that, to be honest, it would be quite an interesting thing to see if you do get kind of certain local maxims happening. Uh, um, my observation has been that there are these kind of, that there's a, a very small list of, of uh, popular shows that are two or three minutes, mostly news, and they have to be very regular because if you're doing a two-minute show and the user's got a typical 10, 20 Subscriptions, you know, that's going to get crowded out very quickly and people just won't hear them often enough during in the way that people tend to use a normal podcast player. Um, so it, it's quite a dangerous thing to do, I think. Um, I think that the longer ones, like I say, are uh, anywhere between 25 to 45 minutes seems to be where most of them are. Uh, and there are some very popular weekly shows. I'm thinking of the Twit Network here yeah. that go uh, quite a bit longer as well.
0: They certainly do. Mm-hmm. You trust 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 network. Um, we remember what the tagline is, you know, at, at, at Twit the, the TV you can trust or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you with with Playoff and you, you it's a, it's being constructed in an open. Not open source, but an open code. What, tell us a little bit about the background, because what I was thinking about behind that is you talked about Creative Commons, um, the ability for people to have access to data. Is that how does that play out in the way you're trying to configure PlayerFan?
1: Yeah, it's not something I've really emphasised too much to date, but it, it is. It has always been the the, the, the the directory and the metadata is Creative Commons, and I'm inspired there by wiki I think Wikipedia has shown that people are much happier to contribute something to a site if they feel like they've actually got the ownership of it. Another example is uh, is Stack Overflow and the Stack Exchange network, which is a kind of question and answer forum that started off for programmers, but also now covers a lot of topics. And I think it's really nice what they've done there is the same thing. They've said like we're a we're a company, so um, we're you know we're here to make a profit, but we're actually all, you know, we, we understand that users who are contributing comments and answers, they should still have ownership of that. And so I'm trying to a similar format here. There hasn't really been that much metadata users could contribute to date anyway. But as I grew it, and, and certainly with the submissions people make for, for individual RSS feeds, but in the future, I'm hoping to add more sort of features. People can leave comments about shows and so on. Um, I think it's quite a nice way to do it to actually make sure that that, it's, that users have got ownership and then it's licensed as creative Commons, so other people can take advantage of it as well.
0: Mm. How, how do uh, people find, you know, you talked about uh, Player FM being a discovery tool. How do people find you? I mean, because do you have to like busily do SEO for people to find you to discover the podcast? or How, how does that work?
1: Yeah, it's uh, like Player FM really entered a reasonably crowded space a long time after the other apps had become mature. So I had to think about that. One thing is, of course, you know, being on the web helps. Another thing is uh, Twitter. We have uh, a number of curated Twitter networks. I can leave you the the links for the show notes if you'd like. Um, Or or a number of curated Twitter accounts. So we actually have, we want to highlight individual podcasts about topics like sports or Fitness or um, or you know business technology, so we, we have accounts for each of them, so people can follow the ones that they'd like. So mm-hmm. uh, various ways, um, but I think that there is there is actually you know there is quite market there as well for, for podcasting at software on Android that Google's left that open because it doesn't have an official one, so that's helped too.
0: Mm, that's cool. All right, so last question, Mike. You are a uh, you know a f- in the the vortex of podcasting and you obviously have a lot of podcasts that you get to discover, uh, give us a couple of, of uh, podcasts that you think would be fun for us to discover. Of course, it will depend on what you're interested in, but ones ones that, that you like to listen to?
1: All right. Well, I'll skip all the programming ones. Uh, uh, Why? Well, well, you really mean you don't
0: podcasts. want to talk geek language? <laughs> <Come> on.
1: <laughs> well, one, one interesting one, I think, is that there's actually, for, for me anyway, I happen to be interested in economics. I find it quite interesting as a kind of intersection between science and society. And, and there's actually a few great ones. Uh, probably a lot of people are aware of Freakonomics. One that I really like is Econ EconTalk, um, which is pre- pre- presented presented by a professor of economics, and he's very engaging. He's, he he uh, takes advantage of Twitter as well to stay in touch with his listeners, and he just manages to get some really amazing guests on. Mm. Uh, also covers a fair bit of technology as well. Cool. Uh, he interviewed Mark Andreessen recently and Max Levchin. So. It's kind of a good mix. Another one is um, is well, generally the whole slate network I really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a recent one called The Gist, which I think is um, it's just kind of covering daily events and putting more of a uh, taking more of a back step and a bit of a spin on it. And another one I'll give you is uh, A16Z, um, which is the the podcast from Andreessen Horowitz, the venture capital firm. Oh, yeah. So they have an interesting take on technology. All
0: no, right, cool. All right. thank you for those so I um, just want to swing back to the your other uh, or I want a favorite topic maybe uh, user experience so because um, this is obviously an area of a supreme interest for me and I think a lot of the listeners what is uh, what it, what makes for a great user experience and you you know you you say well don't make me think just make it be intuitive I guess what it comes down to what what are some of the I mean any tips and thoughts you have about that first point and then the second question is great sites that you think are exhibiting today state of the art uh, user experience
1: uh, yeah I think that what really what makes a great site or what makes a great experience is that ability to just sort of like, like the user sees it straight away and instantly they know what they have to do so it's kind of guiding them through uh, the whole experience and th- there's a lot of ways I think that I like to focus on more of the techie ways, I guess, which are things like algorithms. So it's sometimes something that's a little bit separate that people think of algorithms as something that programmers have to know. But I think a really good product designer has to really be able to think in terms of algorithms as well because um, coming up with an algorithm for, say, you know, how are you going to recommend content to a user um, that actually requires a lot of user knowledge really to come up with a good algorithm for that. Mm-hmm. So I think that there, there is a certain amount of technical know-how that's involved with, with knowing how to do those sorts of things. Um, and I mean,
0: it makes me think, because um, you talk about making the path be sort of seamless or, in, I mean, you know, just obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, some big sites have, you know, millions of users, therefore millions of buckets of people, one person might be interested in, let's say, the Metropolitan Museum, wants to know where it is. So you have to make it obviously where, how to, the map to get to the Met Museum. Then other people are interested to in know what's the show going on today, and then vice, you know, so on, so forth. So, or whether, whatever side it is, there's just lots of different avenues that people are going to take. Do you, either algorithms that help define those paths, or is that, that a whole other area of discussion?
1: Yeah, well, I think what you're getting at there is there are, you know, different tasks. And as a user experience designer, you really need to be thinking about what are the common tasks people have to solve and and trying to solve those tasks specifically. Um, In the world, we can have lots of front doors to things. So we don't have to just be be limited by, uh, say, in the traditional video library scenario where you can only go through in one way. We can organize things in different ways and we can have different interfaces into into uh, our content and our services. So we see that now with, with apps sort of splitting up and unbundling between, you know, taking a photo and viewing photos and having separate apps for that from people like Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the ways to solve it. And it comes with trade-offs, of course, in terms of being able to discover those services. Um, and, and, and context really matters too. So really understanding, you know, who the you... Is there, is, and being able to present them you know, based on what they've done in the past, based on maybe their social networks, pre- presenting the right con- kinds of content is important too.
0: Yeah, that's cool. And so what about um, sites that you think today are exhibiting best UX, whether it's in mobile or on the web? What, what kind of uh, cool sites can we go to and say, sure, I wish we could do the same?
1: I'm yeah. a big fan of no, Kurt, That's one example Sorry, of a so uh, does... Pocket.
0: Pocket. Oh, pocket, of course, the uh, read later, read it later.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it, it solves a very basic problem and it does it in a very elegant way and I think that they take great advantage of the different technology platforms as well. Uh, but I think that's important for, for products to build the best that they can do and uh, fit in with the conventions and norms on any given form. So they do things like, you know, with Chrome, using Chrome extensions on Android, they, they have the ability to tag after you've shared something
0: any other ones that come to mind?
1: Other ones I'd have to think off the top of my head. Uh, just trying to think what, what I'm using. Sort of, uh, another example of an app that I really like is called City Mapper. Um, you probably know that, being I based do? in London. It's yeah. it, it just uh, sort of come on the scene again and in a crowded space. Um, mapping's been around for a long time. And they've solved this basic problem of like, you know, I'm here. How do I get there? Uh, <laughs> it is brilliant. Kind of a
0: but. It is. It's funny. I mean, I, what, I, what I just listened to you in both of these, uh, the way you, you approach the answer to the question is, what problem are they solving? Mm-hmm.
1: That's really where it all starts.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Well, listen, Michael, that was fun. I enjoyed uh, having you on the show. Thanks for being a podcaster on a podcast show.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank- Give not too much navel gazing.
0: Yeah, I'd- no, no, no. I th- hopefully, there was some interesting stuff for everybody. Anyway, uh, comments are, are most welcome. I'd be putting all the links into, um, into the show notes. There are a, a bunch of good ones uh, and ones for me as well. So I appreciate that. I really thank you. So, uh, Mike, how can anyone track you down or follow you? Uh, what's the best way to connect with you?
1: Just mike at player.fm. And, uh, and they can follow me on Twitter too um, I won't even bother trying to spell my name but
0: <laughs> it's two and a half syllables you know talking all right listen Michael thanks a lot
1: all right thank you Minter. it's been fun thanks for having listened to this
0: recording of the Minter Dialogue Show you'll find the show notes on themindset.com that's mindset with a Y where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe if you like the show please do rate it on iTunes that really makes my day Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sacks's Painted Fingers.
2: Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way To rid me of the gray And heal me with all your imperfections That you mention in your lack of self-secure With all your favorite shades